Hi everyone, welcome to Disability Inc. This was Aaliyah from Include NYC. Today I'm really excited to speak with Tyrese Aileen Davis, who is a soon-to-be high school graduate, a self-advocate, and a soon-to-be college student at NYU. Congratulations, Tyrese. Thank you very much. Hello to everyone listening. Um, Tyrese, I've had the privilege of working with Tyrese over the past two years, Tyrese? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, wow, time flies. Time flies, yeah. Um, through through his transition to college. So, Absolutely. So Tyrese has interned at the Brooklyn DA's office, mm -hmm. um, and he's spoken at places like Columbia University and Harvard Law School about disability rights and laws and how they've affected his life. Um, but today, we're really here to talk about Tyrese's journey through the educational system. Of course. And, and his views on ableism and norms and when interacting with folks with disabilities, both his personal experience, but also his intellectual and kind of professional advice on this yes. as, as a young person yes. navigating life, right? So thank you so much for being with, here with us today, Tyrese. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, so, so why don't we start by just telling the listeners a little bit about your journey through, through the New York City school system. You know, we've been lucky enough to know you for a while now, but I think that's a really important foundation to start with how, how that's impacted your views on ableism. Sure. Okay. So I'll start at the beginning. I was in elementary school. During my elementary school years, everything was pretty smooth. You know, my mom, she's a very prominent advocate for any services that I need. You know, she will be willing to sit in on meetings, you know, discuss with, um, teachers and other advisors what is the best plan for me to succeed and you know um, really get my individualized education plan which is uh, abbreviated IEP um, finalized and you know um, enacted in a way that I could you know reach my full potential so elementary school everybody was cooperative you know it was a pretty good experience um, and now fast forwarding to junior high school um, the, the, the area where we live it wasn't um, the best educational va value, best of educational value. So we were kind of like picking the best school out of a bad situation. So we had um, went with a school that I will not name, but it's in Brooklyn. Um, and from the moment I got there, it, it was kind of like this this feeling of we've never had a child like Tyrese. You know, this is all new to us. They were kind of like scratching their heads and passing the buck about everything that. I needed to get addressed in order to succeed at the next level. Um, um, make a long story short, um, my mom fought constantly with like teachers and the administrative support staff to, you know, um, uh, kind of like guide them through what would work for me. And she was also open to suggestions about anything new that they could think of. Um, at this time, now I'm beginning to get withdrawn. You know, my grades are starting to slip. I'm coming home very depressed. And my mom like witnesses the change in my demeanor. So she starts making her pop-up visits. And and Tyrese, just to clarify, at this time you're in seventh grade? Yes. Okay. Sorry, this time I'm in my seventh grade year. Okay. Um, so during this time, my mom starts making pop-up visits to school. And she was appalled when she found out that my occupational therapy was being done in the corner of the hallway and my physical therapy was being done in the bathroom and I distinctly remember that day because she stayed for lunch and she saw that my wheelchair oh okay the cafeteria was a very narrow space my wheelchair is pretty wide I couldn't get through the aisles to sit with my classmates and friends so I had to sit and, and isolated from everyone else and then 
There are three. There were three schools in one school building and only one working elevator. My classrooms were on the fourth floor and my designated bathroom was on the first floor. So I had to wait for a clear elevator both trips and I would miss half the lessons and teachers were not willing to recap. So, you know, I struggled to keep up with everybody else academically. So my mom is fighting on her end. I'm going through this very dark time. So my mom says something needs to, you know, give and I have to do something now or else my ch child is going to be gone. So um, she wanted to take legal action and she um, we got ourselves an attorney and by the grace of God, you know, um, I was able to get out of um, my junior high school and now I will be graduating from a private school in Long Island. But it, it, it was, the journey to get to my high school was very, um, was very eye-opening and overwhelming at times, but I'm glad I went through those dark times to get to a place where I'm very comfortable in being who I am. Mm -hmm. So I don't take anything for granted along this journey, and I'm really blessed to meet people like Aaliyah and organizations like Include NYC that have really, you know, helped me grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... I feel like that's so much to unpack, Tyrese, right? When you, you talked a lot about your mom coming to the school and, and experiencing and observing what was happening in the school, but you know, you as a middle school student, were you, how, you know, how were you, was there anything unusual registering in your mind when you were receiving your OT and PT in the bathroom in the hallways or the fact that like you couldn't be fully included in, in classrooms because you had to, you know, go downstairs yeah. to use the bathroom and the lunchroom. Like, I feel like that's, such an ableist perspective was there anything that was like sitting with you in a way that registered like oh this is wrong i should be fully included in all of these spaces yes um well I, i've had this disability for 19 years now and you know uh, being, being with living with cp you get to see what therapy should look like so when when they would bring me into the bathroom. I, I knew it was wrong, but like they kept saying they had no other way of doing it. Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, you know, what what, what do I do now? But um, like I, like I said, um, if it wasn't for my mom, then who, who, knew, who knows where I would be now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I feel like, I feel like we should also zoom back a second. We, you know, what, sure. what, what for, the, for the folks listening today, ableism, what is it? What does it mean, and, and how do you feel like it impacts impacts your life? Sure. Ableism is favoring the able-bodied population over um, of people with disabilities, and like, you know, uh, whether that be in the realm of employment or, you know, any daily life activity, you know, showing that favoritism. Um, and my interactions with ableism have been um, in interesting, you know? Um, I... I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been traveling, you know, people would like slam doors in my face knowing good and well that I'm following behind them or that I'm close by, you know, them. I may need to get in the same facility or stepping over me when I'm crossing the street or, you know, just the little, little things that kind of get under my skin. But I try not to get mad and anyone that will listen, I try to educate them because I understand that that ignorance that one person showed me is because they're undereducated about what we go through mm. um and then you always get like um the waiters or if you're in an elevator people will be talking to my mom instead of talking to me what what does he want to eat ask him you know what does he want to drink mm. ask him 
I'm fully, you know, capable and cognitive, you know. All you have to do is just strike up a conversation and we can take it from there. But some people fail to realize that or they just scared to ask. And we need, if we're going to grow as a community, we need to stop these things and just walk into situations with an open mind, mm. you know. And do you feel like that, that like, ableism and the way you've experienced ableism is rooted in lack of education, lack of kind of experience and, and exposure to folks with disabilities, ignorance, lack of people with disabilities being highlighted in the media. What do you feel like is the root cause of someone, I mean like how horrific, right? You're at dinner and they're like, oh, what is your, what does your son want to eat? And you're right there fully yes. present, right? What is, what do you feel like that root, roots from? Um, I definitely think that, I think it starts from the home. You know, I say this because as a child, your mother and your father, or your guardian, I should say, are, is supposed to teach you how to conduct yourself when you get older, you know? Whatever you learn at home is going to mm -hmm. play a big part in who that person becomes later. So I think if parents would, you know, have more of these conversations with younger kids and say, you know, look at that young man in the wheelchair. He's just, you, you know, he's as cool as you, or he's mm -hmm. like, as smart as you. Go say hi, give him a high five. I think that will open kids up more to say, hey, you know, these... These citizens and you know people that are just like me are just as productive and they and they matter too, you know. Mm. Right. I love that last point because I think that there's a component of ableism that's also like an othering and a lesser than. Yes. Right. Like it's rooted, like you said, in the favoring of able-bodied people. So it's it sounds like what you're describing too, and what I've experienced, right, is like. There is like a, a lesser than quality of like, yes. oh, that person's in a wheelchair. He is he is lesser than. Yes. And so how do you know for folks listening too, and even thinking about what you've experienced in your education system, you know, let's start with our education system. It sounds like you had a really ableist experience in in junior high school and middle school. Yeah. How um, how how can we combat that in our education system? Um, I think it takes special people, teachers and administrators, to like, look at a student, not physically, look at their mental capability mm -hmm. and say, you know, a person like Tyrese or Tyrese has done X, Y, and Z academically. Mm -hmm. Let, let's further assist him, but let's also pay attention to what he needs physically to try to, you know, um, get some like cohesiveness in, in his learning experience. Um, I think they just need to be open with parents it's okay to tell a parent you don't know but you know the next time that question come up you know you, you should have an answer you know mm -hmm. you should have at least a couple of options of you know assisting to get the kid or parent the help they need you know um mm -hmm. so just being vocal and knowing your limitations because i think people people sometimes make promises to us you know educationally and just like in the real world that they know they can't keep, but they don't want to, you know, let us down, or they think we'll be angry if we get a no or a I don't know. But it's all a part of life, and it's all a part of learning. So just being open and honest, and knowing your limits, and um, finding out the answers when um, answers are needed is is a bit a big thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think you bring up something really important because you know. It's, it's not just about looking at a student and having an ableist perspective on what they physically can and cannot do because there's invisible disabilities too. Yes. Right? Intellectual disabilities, learning disabilities, mental health disorders. So thinking about our education system as like a tool and platform for inclusivity and social justice, 
what what has your experience been also as someone with invisible disabilities? Yes. For what, right. For, sorry. No, for the, for those who don't know, um, mm -hmm. apart from my l let me start with my my diagnosis. I have triplegic cerebral palsy, which means my CP affects my left side and both my legs. So my my dominant side is my right side. Um, and I also um have dyscalculia and dysgraphia. Mm -hmm. This means that when I do mathematical calculations, the numbers don't line up, and I process numbers differently. And also, there's a disconnect in my writing with dysgraphia. Mm -hmm. So the dysgraphia and dyscalculia are fairly new disabilities to me. You know, so I'm still learning how to you know combat that and work through that. But without you know teachers and tutors, you know, I've made um leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Yeah, so kind of to that point, what, what have your teachers and tutors who have not approached you with an ableist perspective been able to accomplish with you with, with these new diagnoses of dyscalculia and dysgraphia? Because there is kind of like almost an invisible ableism in, that can happen in the classroom as well, where teachers are observing or educators are observing or people are observing or parents, right? Like, oh, this young person is having a hard time doing X, Y, and Z, and they don't know what to do. What what has your experience been with that? Um, with the teachers and tutors I do have, they've just um recognized my strengths and um we've we've devised a game plan on how to work through my strengths and improve my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Um, I I have to say one of the one of the biggest um achievements in my academic career that have showed me that um dysgraphia and dyscalculia don't define me because it, it was kind of nerve wracking to like understand that now. I've been living with CP for 19 years, and I have two other undiagnosed disabilities. You know, it was kind of a lot on my plate at the time I got diagnosed, so I really didn't know how to deal with it. But um, when I was in 11th grade, I took the AC, um, SAT, sorry, and um, I was working really hard um, during the months that led up to the test. And, you know, I, I set goals for myself, and, you know, I, I let teachers and, and my tutors know what I was struggling with, and they gave me like tips and ways to handle certain sections of the test, and I ended up getting an 1100. So that was a that was a crowning achievement, you know, in my academic career, you know, to show me that Tyrese, you know, success is possible, you know, no matter how many you know disabilities you can have, you just need to know when to talk and how to communicate to mm -hmm. others what help I actually need. Mm -hmm. Um, and with my dysgraphia, um. I kind of, I kind of, look, look, now I don't mind having dysgraphia because I've, I've always loved English and I've always loved writing and I've, I'm a public speaker so talking in language is second nature to me and what really made me, what really made me comfortable with my dysgraphia is when I started to write my novel that I hope to get finished very soon. I, I, I don't know when that's going to happen but it's, it's going to happen. Um, so when I was undertaking the novel, um, you know, I would get like um, writer's block, and you know, then my tutors would like finally see the connection between me and my dysgraphia, and they would like, you know, talk to me and tell me, okay, you know, you had this good idea and these three good ideas. This is what's missing. Let's see if we can, you know, put them back together, or look at this chapter in a different way, or make sure you're, you know, tuning into your own voice when you talk about this event in the book. So I think they they shaped it and molded a plan that fits for me and you know I'm just taking the bull by the horns and you know um I'm very excited um to to be writing and creating cuz I just feel like you know that's what I'm meant to do yeah
Totally. And it's beautiful that you have a group of educators and supporters yes. who who are supporting you as you continue to write, even though you have a writing-based learning disability, right? Definitely. And so when you, when you talk about that, um, you know, it sounds like that's some really great advice for other educators and parents and, and folks who are supporting people with invisible disabilities, but it also sounds like there's a huge component of self-advocacy too, right? Yes. You talked a lot about how really you were able to learn and identify where your gaps were and where your strengths were, but also where you needed support. How do you feel like, you know, ableist perspectives play into coaching young people on how to be self-advocates? Because I feel like self-advocacy is a skill set, right? And as someone who works with young people all the time, some people, you know, you came and started working with me and you were a self-advocate, but other young people come and they've never heard of self-advocacy, they don't know what it means, they don't know how to speak about their disability. How do you feel like ableist perspectives kind of prevent coaching on, on how to be a self-advocate and why do you think that happens? Because I think ableism prevents self-advocacy um, because it's just negativity, you know, they're, they're not coming into a situation with an open mind, they're coming with preconceived notions about, oh, he's retarded, um, you know, he's crippled, he's handicapped, you know, all these, um, uh, like, misnarratives that are not true, you know, and for the people with the disabilities, I, I, I just want, want you guys to know, if you were listening, that, um, you know, you should just think about your situation like this, you know, I have people that care about me, and I have people that want me to succeed, you know, let me work with them to live an easier life. You know, it, it's all about you setting yourself up for success later, you know. Um, so just try to be as open as you can. I know it's hard sometimes. I know some people are introverted and may not have a voice right off the bat, but you'll find it, you know, whether you have to write things down and hand somebody a piece of paper and they can read it, you know, any little bit counts. Just find your voice and, um, then I think if you find your voice, everything else will fall in place. But definitely don't be scared if you have the people that are willing to, you know, support you in anything. Mm, I love that. Um, I think that's so important. And I think your point also about, like, these misunderstandings and stigma and bias and, like, incorrect narratives about people with disabilities is so important. Because I yes. feel like we generate those, right? Like we as a society generate and put out these incorrect narratives about what people with disabilities can and cannot do and who they are and who they're not. Definitely, um, definitely. Right? And I feel like we've talked about this, but in the media, the media plays a huge yes. role, right? Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how you feel like the media has either evolved mm -hmm. in, a, in a constructive way, in a positive way, and how that kind of perpetuates this like ableist or incorrect narratives about people with disabilities or limited narratives, right? Mm -hmm. Um, what I would say about social media, social media is a, is a, is a gift and a curse in my eyes, you know, um, because it can help promote, you know, like the, 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 uh, a level of education needed to, you know, um, uh, broaden the world's view of our community, but it can also hinder us as well. Um, I also want to touch on, uh, uh, TV show, I will, I will not name it, um, but I feel like the um, narrative, it, I, I feel like the producers of the show mean well. It's a very good message, very good characters, very good cast, awesome cast, but I feel like this show 
that is, you know, um, projecting what it's like to live with a disability and have a family member with a disability isn't always going to fit the mold for everybody else, you know? Because a, a lot of people have different variations of that, you know? Um, so I think if the cinema and television world were more inclusive and, and actually gave disabled actors roles that, you know, they feel comfortable in portraying and roles that they actually live, um, it, it's kind of funny because I did this for my final English paper for school, you know? And it was just breathtaking about how many actors and actresses alike don't get roles based on their physical, you know, physical characteristics. But it, it's funny because then when you get the A-list actors, um, the quick, one of the quickest ways to get an Oscar or an Emmy or whatever it is, is to portray a person with a disability. Rain Man, um, The Bone Collector. Forrest Gump. Um, Forrest Gump. Yes, all these all these iconic films have one thing in common. An able-bodied person that has no idea what, what life is like, you know, in the eyes of somebody that has a disability portraying, so to speak, a, a, a lie, you know, to get in a critically acclaimed award and, you know, um, advance their prestige. But um, I think the the cinema and um, TV um, industry has a long way to go with in inclusiveness and inclusion. Um, I also feel like, you know, if other communities that have a certain demographic, you know, are getting the attention, you know, why can't we, you know, get ours, you know, why can't everybody help one another? That's the only way we can grow. So I think Hollywood needs to really look within themselves and like find a way to support um, disabled actors and just, you know, practice inclusion. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such an important point and so important to unpack because I feel like a lot of what you just touched on is also this really deeply rooted and deeply ableist problem of wanting like a pity-based narrative yes. for folks with disabilities, right? Yes. Where it's like, oh, your life is so hard, you have to overcome all these challenges, but oh, you overcome them and you find love, or oh, you overcome them and you're successful all of a sudden. Yes. And it's this like consistent arc of, of, an, of a person with a disability being pitied and then mm. overcoming all these challenges and then they're okay. So, I, you know, I put that out there to kind of dive deeper into that because, because I think these... I, all those movies that you listed were written by neuroatypical people yes. without cognitive or physical disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think these movies and these shows would be better if the director said, hey, you know, let's gather a focus group mm -hmm. of, let's say, 20, 30, maybe even 40 individuals with this specific, you know, um, disability that we're trying to narrate on screen or in cinema. What do you guys go through from the moment you wake up to the moment you close your eyes? Tell me everything, you know? I think that would have put them out on a better foot, but, you know, again, people will fail to, you know, come to these realizations or realize these things too late. Mm -hmm. And I think it really hinders, uh, and it's very disrespectful to us, and it hinders, you know, everybody else. Yeah, and I love that you said, you know, 20, 30, 40, because it's like, you meet one person with CP, you've met one person with CP. You meet one person with autism, you met one person with autism. You meet one person with depression, no, that's one person's yeah. story with depression. You, you need to get a sense of the whole spectrum. Mm. If, if you're going to do something, don't do it, you know, don't do it happily, you know. Do it with your full intention, you know. So, if, if I feel like if, if, if the Hollywood industry really cared, they would, they would take these things to heart.
Um, I also just want to touch on one story um, that I was researching while I was writing this um, paper about inclusivity in Hollywood for my English class. Um, there's this um, actor, his name is C.J. Walker. He's a, uh, he's a deaf actor, and he played in this movie called Baby Driver with Hansel Igor. Um, he was in like the opening first five minutes when um, Hansel was um, interacting with him. Um, n now remember, uh, C.J. Walker has been acting and trying to get on television for 30 years. It took him 30 years to get his starring role simply because, and this is his, in his own words, Hollywood producers did not want to pay my sign language interpreter and felt that a anybody person would be easier to direct things toward. That, 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 I'm sorry, but that's asinine to me, you know? Um, if, if this is really America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, and we have so much brotherly love, how come it's not showed in all walks of life, you know? At every instance, you know? It, 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 it th that story really, um, really showed me something and, like, really opened my eyes to uh, the society we live in, you know? You, you don't want to give someone a chance simply because you don't want to pay a person a couple extra dollars mm -hmm. to do their job that they've been doing forever, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's sad. And I'm pretty sure they had them, like, all these other films had the money and the budget, but I guess they were being ignorant. And it goes back to how you're raised, you know? Well, and I think it's, that's just, it's rooted in, like, such, like, almost a complacency to just, yes. like, default to comfort, right? Where yes. it's, like, it's easier for... Oh, no, 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 we got it. We, we're, yeah. we're good, mm -hmm. sorry. Mm -hmm. You did exactly. a good job. Pat on the back, and right. now you could go home. Right. Next. You know? And there are some uh, directors who are doing the exact opposite, right? I don't know if you've had the chance to see A Quiet Place, John Krasinski's new film. Um, yes, I, I, I think I did hear of an actor that was actually deaf. Yeah, exactly. And they hired multiple ASL coaches where the cast learned ASL, and a lot of the movie was in ASL. Um, and they... they accommodated her from the get, but that was, you know, John Krasinski talked in a bunch of interviews about how that was really, really intentionally done. Um, but, you know, to your point, right, like about the TV show you mentioned, that's one film in the grand scheme of things, and we still don't have enough neuroatypical yes. folks with disabilities in in Hollywood projecting these narratives, so we kind of function in our everyday life with the narratives that were handed, like Rain Man and Forrest Gump and, and these problematic narratives. Yes. And it's not like the people with neurotypical um, um, disabilities are not leading productive lives. They just need mm -hmm. assistance to right. be better. Right. They have all the qualifications, right. you know? They just need that little bit of a push mm -hmm. to get them to where they need to be. And they need the platform to tell their story, yes. right? Because yeah. if, if, we turn, if we don't know about these things, how can we fix them, you know? Right, right. And if you don't have access to that, there's no way that you'll be able to educate the masses, the, the mass population, on what it's like to live your life. Exactly. Right. And so, on that note, right, they're in, in talking about invisible disabilities like intellectual disabilities and learning disabilities, what also Shh. falls under the disability category are mental health disorders. Sure. Which I also know you're super passionate about, um, especially as you transition into this next huge phase in your life. Yes. So, how do you feel like you know, ableist perspectives or folks that don't have any exposure to mental health disorders interact or understand um, the intersection between being a person with a disability and having a mental health disorder. Because that's, you know, so it's a huge, huge topic. So during this process, especially um, just recently, 
I've noticed how much my mental stability depends on my further further success. Um, I I can't tell you how many times during this college application process I've second guessed myself and I've caused myself so much mental strain and um, uh, like I said, I thank God for people like Aaliyah and you you know for um walking through those tough times with me and kind of like helping me to get to a decision that really was the best for me. Um, I'm I'm a public speaker, yes. I like talking, yes. Um, but my mental situation I kind of hid from a lot of people, and I don't really show that side. But in my eyes, in order to live, in order to live like a better Tyrese and fully reach, you know, the level of comfortability I want to be at, I have to talk through these things in order to educate not only people like me but people not like me as well. You know, so we can have a plan to help anybody else that is going through what I'm going through. So um. I have to say, it took a lot, it, it took a lot you know, a, a, a lot of phone calls from Aaliyah and other advisors and, you know, uh, tutors and friends to say that, Tyrese, you need therapy. Therapy is the way to go. And uh, I, there was a lot of pushback and there was a lot of, you know, hard times, but I finally made it across that bridge and I'm glad I did. And, you know, mm. I think I'm slowly taking the appropriate steps to live a better life and a clearer life. Yeah, and I mean, you know... I'll talk a little bit about myself in a minute, but I feel like it's so important to like unpack why you think yourself and both for yourself and other people, like why we're so resistant to therapy and mental health services and how ableism plays a role in that, right? Yes. And how uncomfortable people get when saying like, oh, I'm dealing with depression or anxiety or mental health issues. Absolutely. And I, I think I think we live in a society where we're supposed to be like so masked in our emotions, you know. You don't want to, you don't want to um, show any sign of weakness to anybody because they can quote unquote capitalize on it and make you pay. But if we're really an inclusive society, then we should be as raw as possible and as vulnerable as possible in order to come together and say this is an issue that's affecting this majority. If we really care, let's tackle it together, you know. Um, so I think. We need to get rid of that macho, you know, um, uh, like the strongman personality and just live and be honest and be open, you know, because pain is something that nobody should go through. And I, I don't want anybody that does have mental um, uh, m mental insecurities that, that is listening and people that are not listening. I don't want these people to feel like they're alone because you're not alone, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've, I've fought this battle in private for a long time, you know. Then God put people in place in my life that showed me the light in the dark times. And now I'm an advocate and now I'm passionate about my, my, my mental health and mental health initiatives in general. That's why when I get to NYU, um, I want to enact a lot of programs and a lot of initiatives that can help other people. Because I, I know I'm not the only one struggling with it. So why don't I do as much as I can while I still have the energy and, you know, all my senses and everything, you know? Why don't I, you know, explore this journey, you know? Mm -hmm. So. Oh my God, I just got chills. Um, yeah, and I mean, I feel like to your point, the invisibility of a mental health disorder is really, like, super challenging. Similar yes. to, to invisible disabilities, where it's something I struggle with, where, you know, I have mental, multiple mental health disorders that I'm consistently explaining to people. Exactly. Why I need accommodations or support and yes. stuff like that. And I feel like for you, you've talked about how, you know, 
teachers and people will look at you and see your wheelchair, but that's it. And they don't understand that there's other things going on that you need support support with, right? Yes. So I feel like as we as we kind of start to wrap up here, do you do you have any words of wisdom to either folks with disabilities and other invisible disabilities or people who are neurotypical, neuroatypical, able-bodied as they go about life interacting with, you know, people that we can't see what's going on beneath the surface? Um, it's, it's funny that you um, posed that question because this morning I, I saw a post that said, always be nice to someone because you never know what battle they're fighting mm -hmm. on the inside. And that, that, that post spoke volumes to me because that, that, th this is our society, you know? People may see you and they think, you know, she's she's fully capable and she's productive and she's happy, but, you know, do they really know what you fight, you know, against every day to, you know, be as productive and be the lovable person that you are, you know? People don't see the... We should be commended for the battles we fight in private, you know, instead of the notoriety we get in public. I mean, that's how I, I want to be remembered. Um, I, I, I do understand, you know, speaking at Harvard and... Interning at the DA's office, it is a, a more wonderful experiences, but I want people to, you know, uh, understand at the end of the day, Tyrese was passionate about mental health. He carried that love to college and beyond, and look what he was able to bring with the platform that he had or while he had, you know. I, I want to be known as an advocate first and foremost, and, you know, um, but back, back to the question, I just want people to know that just because a person may look okay doesn't mean it's always the case and it may take a while for them to open up but once they open up and you see that you guys have a lot more in common you know you should want to work with them to 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 um become better together i think all of this depends on how open we are with each other you know because then we can we can grow you know um so growth and openness is what it boils down to um, and I, I'm just excited to be on this journey, you know, um, I can't wait to start, you know, my initiatives. Mm -hmm. I, I know it'll turn out to be something great because, you know, I'm so passionate about it and I can't wait to see how, how it positively affects other individuals with and without disabilities and just look back at the bigger picture and say, you know, thank God for those dark times because without them, I wouldn't be the Tyrese I am now. So mm -hmm. everything is a process. You just have, have to believe. Mm. I love that. So, oh my gosh, Tyrese, I feel all fired up now, like ready to go. <laughs> um, I mean, always such a joy listening and talking to you. And thank you all for listening to Disability Inc. today. We'll be taking a break over the summer, um, but you can check out our previous podcasts on iTunes. And feel free to go follow Tyrese on Instagram and social um, media as yes. he shakes shit up. Yes, my... Um my Instagram is underscore the, T-H-E, think, T-H-I-N-K, tank. Again, that's underscore the, T-H-E, T-H-I-N-K, T-A-N-K, the think tank. Um, so, so feel free to follow me on this journey, mm -hmm. and the best is yet to come. Yeah. And um, I'm just very excited. Thank you all for listening. Yeah. And supporting Include NYC, and yeah. everybody's wonderful. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you all so much. Again, this was Aaliyah from Include NYC. And thank you all for listening. Have a great day.